This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Heather Petrie. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with four-time USA water polo Olympian Heather Petrie. Heather shares how she transitioned from swimming to water polo and why she did not specialize in just one sport growing up. She also talks about her coaches, including Don Hydry, and how they contributed to her success. They just really focus on the athlete as a person and how they can create a better person through sports. And I just enjoyed being around him. He really made me feel confident. Lastly, Heather reflects on her Olympic experience and her path to achieve four medals and becoming one of the most decorated U.S. women's water polo athletes. Heather, I want to start off by introducing you to our Responsible Sports audience. Heather Petrie is a four-time Olympic medalist in the sport of water polo. Her Olympic experience started with a silver medal in the 2000 Sydney Olympics and most recently included a gold medal at the London Games. Heather was born in Oakland, California, and she played her high school water polo for Miramonte High School. She went on to play water polo for University of California, Berkeley, where she scored 96 goals and was a two-time All-American. Heather graduated from Cal in 2002 with a degree in integrative biology. In addition to her time representing the U.S. in the pool, Heather has played professionally abroad for multiple seasons. Heather currently lives in Orinda, California. Heather, thanks so much for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with all of you. So Heather, I've read that in addition to water polo, um, you were also a four-year swimmer at Miramonte High School. And I'm curious if you could share with our responsible sports audience uh, when it became clear to you that water polo was really going to be your main sport focus after high school. Well, I had been swimming since I was five, so it was definitely a big part of my life. Um, And I always had dreams of being like Summer Sanders and Jenna Evans and going to the Olympics for swimming. But I think it was in my sophomore year when I got the chance to play with boys and, and just my first introduction to water polo that I fell in love with the idea that you could be in the pool and with a team and playing a sport that's a little more interactive. So, So you actually didn't start playing water polo until, or what year did you actually start playing water polo? I was sophomore in high school, so I think I was 15 at the time. Um, I was really late to the, in terms of what you'd imagine sports were now, but I think that that's a great message that you can really start something at any time and be successful in it. That's exactly where my head was going. I mean, there's so much uh, pressure now on parents and kids to specialize, and you know, coaches saying, if you don't specialize now, you're never going to be able to play the sport beyond high school. Um, so your story really, it says something a little bit different, that you didn't even pick this up till you were a sophomore and and went on to be, you know, one of the most medaled Olympians in our history in the sport. What a wonderful story. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the, the decision about when to specialize. If an athlete is considering that or, or parents have a child who's saying that she wants to specialize, how should, how should they think about that big decision? Well, I definitely think that 
athletes need to be careful about that. I think for me, it was beneficial for me to play a lot of sports and be interested in a lot of things for farther into my athletic career um, because I didn't kind of specialize until into, for water polo or swimming until um, much later. I think my body was ready to handle it, um, but my muscles weren't specific just to one sport. But also, I think in terms of your mentality, um, I really wanted to play water polo when I really started focusing in on it, and it was my choice to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my parents just really supported me generally that in that I wanted to play. And because I wanted to do it, I was able to put more of my effort into it and commit to it in a different way, I believe, um, and kept me playing much longer than um, other athletes that may burn out sooner. I think I really want to highlight what you said there about you feel like when you decided to specialize that it was your choice. And I'm curious what advice you'd give parents where they have like a travel team coach or an Olympic development team coach saying to them, you know, your daughter is really talented. If she specializes now, she can earn a college scholarship. You know, she should quit all these other sports and, you know, just play water polo or just play softball. Um, what, What should those parents do when they get that kind of input from a coach? I think getting input from coaches or other people is always good. That helps you kind of narrow down um, in terms of their their abilities um, are the best. But I think you should really just have a conversation with your daughter, your son, the athlete themselves, and just ask, is this is really what they're enjoying? Mm -hmm. Um, My parents had a rule for me when I first started um, sports when I was very young, and they um, said if I started to something, no matter what it was, it could be dancing, it could be athletics, it didn't matter, I had to finish the entire season or Mm -hmm. classes, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yep. And they came back to me at the end and asked, did you enjoy it? Would you like to sign up for it again? So they always threw it back to me. And I feel like making that um, my responsibility and my choice was ultimately what helped me commit to things later in life. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. I mean, I love that idea. We certainly have parents ask us like, oh, it's halfway through the season. My kid is hating it. You know, should I should I let him quit? Um, And I think that's such a good point of like finishing what you start um, and at least finishing out that class or that season. Um, That's a really important life lesson and takeaway. And I feel like it's okay if they come to the end and feel like it's not something they enjoyed and not something they want to do. Mm -hmm. Even if a coach or, um, you know, someone was saying, you know, they're really good at this, they could earn a scholarship. Mm. Ultimately, they're not going to enjoy the process or really be successful at the highest level unless they want it. So I think that's something good to, to keep in mind. That's fantastic. Um, I want to ask you one more question about your experience playing high school water polo. Um, it sounds like you were part of the group to get a girls program in place and that first you played on the boys team and that then you were able to actually get a, a team in place for girls. Can you tell us uh, how you went about doing that? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, my sophomore year, there were about four or five girls that wanted to play water polo, and we only had a boys team. So we approached the boys team about playing with the JV group, and they were actually very supportive. I do often go back to the boys coach at the time, Bill Brown, and thank him for having that positive um, mentality about it. I think if he had started off that whole um, experience with kind of a negative connotation, mm-hmm. that would have changed and spun the whole experience in a negative way, and I probably never would have wanted to play with girls. Mm. So I do um, really look back on that as a positive thing. And just by being a part of their team, it was scary. I mean, there's a bunch of boys and three or four girls, and mm-hmm. um, but it was a place for me to learn and, and really watch the game and see, like, is this something I want? And so we talked to some of our parents, and between the girls and the parents, we went to the school district and proposed that we have this um, league in our area. 
And the, the school board actually asked us, well, do you have a petition? And we had gotten a petition from our own school with 50 signatures from girls mm-hmm. um, that, that wanted to play. And they looked at us and they're like, where are the petitions from the other schools? So we went out and got other schools in our league to get petitions. And mm. none of their petitions had as many names as our school did. But that was okay to us as long as people were interested. So we went back to the school board and they said, okay, you can have your inaugural year. And if you can keep all 50 of those girls on oh this team, you can continue <laughs> the next year. And we looked at them and we're like, oh, okay, didn't seem that hard to us. Um, it turned out to be fantastic. All 50 girls plus more came out for that year and stayed all the way through the year and enjoyed it. And wow. that, t- that uh, league has been going now. Next year will be our 20-year anniversary. Wow. Um, most people don't get to do something like that when they're in high school. And what a tremendous experience for you. Um, tell us a little bit about um, Don Hydry, who I think was one of your first coaches of the girls team at Miramonte High School. I know Don was recently awarded the Double Goal Coach Award uh, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance for being a fantastic coach. Can you talk a little bit about him specifically? Yes, I was first introduced to Don as a swim coach. Um, he was my high school, high school swim coach my freshman year, and I just really enjoyed his philosophy on coaching. He was very positive, which is why he won such an, an amazing award with his brother. Um, they, they just really focus on the athlete as a person and how they can create a better person through sports. And I just enjoyed being around him. He really made me feel confident. And when we went and tried to get this new girls team, uh, the first person we thought of to help us was him. So we approached him and many of his athletes or swimming athletes Mm -hmm. um, wanted to do this. And he was really supportive and ended up coaching us our first year. So my junior year. And I think that's a really big testament to him seeing our um, vision and our passion for this sport and he's a swim coach he's not a water polo coach he had played water polo but some swim coaches may have wanted us to stay in swimming and not try this new sport but he championed that and I think that that was a great start for me um, in terms of water polo with girls and then to move on and how I look at team sports and how I use that on every team I was a part of since. That's fantastic. I mean, I I was worried at first when you said the school board said, you know, we're going to continue this only if you get all 50 people back the next year. Um, And then to hear that that you guys did such a good job and with him at the helm, you know, getting 50 plus girls back the next year. I often talk about the way to judge a coach isn't by sort of the record at the end of the year. It's by how many of their athletes want to come back and play. Um, so he clearly did a fantastic job that first year. I 100% agree with you. I mean, if you saw us, we barely had pool time that first year. So he would take us up to the field to teach us the basics of the game. And we'd be uh-huh. passing balls on the field and hmm. get all these girls, 50 girls running around. And, and he was able to just to make it fun and yeah. um, really engage us in a way that brought us together as a group. And we all continued to play, which was really interesting in that he created a new opportunity for all of us to go to college and yeah. play a sport that you know, wasn't there before. Huge, huge impact. That's fantastic. Um, So I think twice when you were in high school and then again twice at Cal, you were actually the captain of your team. Um, And congratulations, by the way. I heard in 2013 you had your cap retired at Cal. It's fantastic. Um, I was hoping you could tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about what you think makes an effective team captain. So based on, you know, your experience at different levels. 
I think for me, especially in any, any leadership role, but especially if you're given that, that responsibility uh, to be a captain, I think for me it's leading by example. So if I wanted any of my teammates to do something, be early to practice or try their hardest, I needed to be doing those as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, whether I'm the captain or not, I think that's a very big um, aspect that I try to use in my daily life even. Um, but just to lead by example, show people how – to be the athlete I want them to be or I want to be so Mm -hmm, um, that mm -hmm. they can just pick up on it instead of talking at them. It's more of just action. Mm. So you started, I think, to allude to to an answer to my next question, but do you think there are any common pitfalls, um, you know, maybe for for high school age captains where like they're the captain for the first time in their life and they sort of have an idea of what that person is supposed to do and any areas where you think you might sort of say, here's a pitfall when someone gets named a captain for the first time? Um, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a big responsibility and everybody's looking at you. So I think sometimes the pressure gets to be a lot to people and you think you have to be something other than you are, but Mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. just being who you are. You, you clearly were put in that role, um, for some reason, whether it's just, you're a fun, energetic person, you lead well, you, you know, you're a hard worker, there's something that you're really good at and your coach or your team feels that you're a per- perfect person for that that role. So embrace what you are and really let it shine. That's great. That's great. Um, so sometimes we talk about the very best coaches and captains being good emotional tank fillers. So this idea that, um, you know, of course, we're going to have to give correction and, and do that type of coaching, um, but that for every piece of correction, we actually need to give five truthful and specific tank fillers. So, you know, reinforcing things or people things that people are doing well and um, eventually try to get to five positives for every drainer. Um, And I'm curious if you have had any specific coaches or even captains that you think have been really good at this and what was it that they did that helped keep your tank full and your teammates tanks full? I think um, some of the best coaches and captains and teammates, whether they were captain or not for me have been ones that um, are just really aware um, mm-hmm. whether that's listening to what people are saying around them or, or a lot of times you know these people around you so well you can feel if they're having a bad day or if they need just, just a little something. Um, and that's when taking that information and going on to the next level of really reaching out to figure out what is it that that person's going to need. So I'm a really energetic person, and if I start being quiet, those mm. coaches or those teammates or captains that saw that would come over to me and try and find a way to reach me in an energetic way to bring my energy back where it normally was. Mm-hmm. And just by doing that, I knew that they cared. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important. So just listening and, and being aware of the people around you can really help. That's fantastic. I think that's a little bit um, counterintuitive. You know, when I ask high school students what makes a good captain, rarely do I hear like, oh, a good listener, you know, or, you know, and that's, uh, I think you totally nailed it there. Um, I was hoping you could tell our responsible sports listeners a little bit about your decision um, to sit out your senior season at Cal to prepare for the Sydney Olympics. I think that the 2000 Sydney Games were the first time that women's water polo was ever part of that event. And um, I'm just curious if that was a tough choice and how you went about making that choice and if it was one you discussed with your family or your coaches or you know how you made that decision. <laughs> that decision for me was actually a, a bit of a shock. Um, I had been on the national B team, so I wasn't even on the A team at the time when I was asked to come down and train um, for the Olympics in, in January of 2000. So when the national team coach asked me, I kind of looked at him like, is this really happening? <laughs> um, it wasn't something I'd expected. And so 
prior to that, I'd never talked to my parents about it. I'd never, you know, entertained a conversation with my current Cal coach. Hmm. Um, So honestly, it was a really big of a shock. And the first thought I had was yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I knew that the experience of just training on a national team level at the A level um, would help my my athletic career, even if I didn't go to the Olympics. Hmm. So when I went down to train in, in 2000 and went back to Cal right before I left and talked to my coach, talked to the athletic directors and all the people at school and my family, um, it was really more just to say, I'm going to give this a try. And mm-hmm. every one of them was very supportive, just saying, go ahead and do it and see what comes of it. Because at that point, there were no guarantees. Our, mm-hmm. The national team coach didn't say, oh, you're going to be going to the Olympics mm-hmm. um, in nine months. It was more, we're going to give you this opportunity, and what do you want to do with it? And mm-hmm. I think for me, looking back, that was one of the best experiences for me in, in athletics because it gave me a chance to understand that you really need to, to challenge yourself. You need to put yourself in areas that make you uncomfortable and push mm-hmm. your limits because if you don't, you'll never really know where you go. Mm-hmm. I feel if I had stayed home that year and, and passed that opportunity by, I might never have gotten the Olympic experiences that I have now. Wow. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the first Olympics because you, you made the team and you know, um, traveled to Sydney, and I know it culminated with a, a really tough loss, a four to three loss in the final um, to Australia, the host country. And um, I guess I wanted you to reflect on that from the perspective of, you know, what advice can you give the coaches and the athletes who are listening about how to bounce back after that kind of experience? So, you know, after a tough loss, um, what can you focus on and what can you do to, to come back and, and not sort of be crushed by that kind of experience? Well, I think the first thing to remember is that we're playing a a sport, Mm -hmm. that this is a game and Mm -hmm. there's always going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And no matter what, no matter how hard you try, there's going to be a result and it doesn't Mm -hmm. take anything away from how you prepared or what you put into that game. So the very next day could be a totally different outcome. Mm. And I think that was something that we learned that day was that we lost in the last second of the game. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have gotten any closer to a win, but We did our best, and we knew that if we wanted to come back and try again, you have to pour all of your energy back into that endeavor and uh, not look back and be focused on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we were more focused on the loss and not winning that gold medal, we would never have been able to, you know, push harder and look towards the next goal and focus on on Athens as we move forward. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, if, If you can, for a second, reflect on the arc of your time with the national team, you know, sort of that first Olympics where you just sort of had come up from the B team and um, all the way through now being a veteran of four Olympics. Um, what has your experience over all those years been with a team and sort of your role on the team? How's that evolved over time? Well, that, well, it's been 13 years, so there's quite quite a lot of changes and a lot of experiences, but I feel like the best way to explain it from the, in the very beginning and that experience in, in Sydney, um, I felt like I was a kid on a fast-moving train. I was mm-hmm. glued against the window with my eyes, the biggest saucers looking mm-hmm. out, and I was trying to take in that experience because it was so new to me and so fresh that um, it just felt like it was moving really fast. Yeah. Um, And not that I didn't enjoy that experience, but I have seen now after years of um, having more experiences how I have honed my ability to slow things down and really enjoy every moment in a different way. Um, So that as I went on um, to Athens 
and to Beijing, um, my, my role on the team changed. I went from a defender to more of a, a forward or like an attacker shooter hmm. um, position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as my, my role in the pool changed, my role outside the pool changed as well, being more of a veteran, explaining to the new hmm. girls on the team that, yes, you're going to be very overwhelmed and there's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you, but really take the time to soak it in because it's these moments that are going to really you know, allow you to remember what we did. Mm -hmm. Um, So that by the time I got to London, I was having the best time of my life. I loved every second. Um, I can remember it so much more clear than I could the very first experience, Mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. Um, I'm glad I had those four experiences. And the one big thing to remember is that it is never all roses and kittens. There are going to be great moments and there are going to be heartbreaking moments, um, Mm -hmm. whether that's in training or whether it's a a game or anything. And all of that, all of those things combine to make this epic journey instead of thinking it's all going to be great or it's all going to be bad. So, I mean, I wouldn't change a second of it. Fantastic. That's great. Um, I want to ask you for a second. Um, another one of the big concepts we we talk about inside responsible sports is honoring the game. And we have an acronym, ROOTS, that we talk about that we want coaches and kids and parents to respect the roots of the game. So rules, opponents, officials, teammates, and self. And I've found this can be sort of a tricky one with water polo. Um, as, as so many coaches teach players explicitly how to hold under the water, um, you know, which is against the sort of letter of the rules. And I'm curious what your take is on that um, and, and sort of what you think coaches should be teaching. And, and you know, does that, the practice of, of teaching players how to hold under the water, does that honor the game or what's your take on that? Um, I think our sport by nature is, is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not think it needs to be over the line um, to a place where it goes into a negative connotation. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are coaches out there that are trying to teach their athletes to be aggressive in a way that may not be most constructive. Mm. Um, but I think the, the best way to approach that, and I have tons of um, athletes and people asking me stuff like this, is that as long as you're focused on the fundamentals of the actual move or, let's say, what you're trying to do in the pool, um, it'll take away a lot of the emotion of, oh, she's grabbing me and I need to grab her back, or she hit mm. me or I got kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll just turn into, this is the move I need to make. I need to cross over here so that I can release through the ball, or I need to drive mm-hmm. this way so that I can open my player up. Um, and it will take a little bit of that um, crazy, aggressive nature away from it. I think that a lot of times that's the focus, is more on focusing on, on that aspect of the game, the, the emotional part, rather than the fundamentals and how we actually execute what we do in the pool. So focusing more on sort of the execution and, and less on the emotional piece. Okay. So are there specific things that you think um, responsible sports parents can do to honor the game when it comes to water polo, you know, like the way they conduct themselves on the pool deck or what they're saying to their kids on their way home after a match, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love por- uh, parents that support their children and, and want them the best for them, but I think they also need to remember that um, it is a game and they want to support their children to, to actually play and execute and not, like I said, get into the emotional aspect of it and have, you know, be angry or be um, more aggressive towards something that they didn't go their way. And I think that's ultimately going to have their child 
um, focused on the wrong things rather than focus strictly on how can I get better tomorrow? How can I take what I learned today and what happened in the game and move on and, and become a better athlete the next day and the next competition and the next opportunity to, to be athletic? So if you were um, if you were a parent who, for whatever reason, you know, couldn't go to a game and, and you're at home, you know, after school over dinner, um, looking to ask some questions um, about the game, what do you think are some really good questions that parents could ask their kids after after a water polo game? Um, I think um, one good thing would be to ask them one or two things that they did well. Um, Mm -hmm, helping mm -hmm. them focus on maybe a great pass or did they shoot well or, uh, you know, make a great block. Um, And then instead of focusing on what they did wrong, per se, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. instead focus on what could you do to improve the next game. Um, And maybe really ask them if they checked in with their coach and asked Mm -hmm. if they had some sort of connection with um, someone who could give them that kind of information um, and and take it more into a, a, um, I don't know, reflective place instead of... um, getting in emotional and trying to, uh, you should have won or you should have done this and just more <laughs> taking it back to fundamentals and, and how to improve the next time. That's great. That's great. Um, I think one of the huge bonuses of, of international sports is just all the travel that you get to do and, and learning about different parts of the world. And I know, um, you know, aside from your time playing for the U.S., you've also played professionally in Italy and Greece and Brazil. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what that experience is like and, and what you feel like you've learned from that particular experience. I do have to say that getting to travel around the world has been one of the biggest bonuses of being part of um, this team, being part of this sport. Um, I have loved every second of being able to live. I got to live in Italy and live in Greece. Mm -hmm. Um, I now have friends that I consider part of my family that were my teammates over there and getting to have those experiences with them has enriched my life so much. But um, I think in terms of strictly uh, water polo and athletics, I think playing in Italy was one of the best things for my the growth of my uh, water polo career. Um, the Italians play water polo very differently than we do. They are, as you, as we talked about, very aggressive mm-hmm. um, in the way the nature in which they play. So when I went over there, I had just finished college and I had been to two Olympic games, but it still it still hadn't. I hadn't figured it out yet. I Mm. I was still a swimmer at heart and hadn't understood that, you know, Mm. yeah, there's going to be people grabbing and I need to stop thinking about that and just thinking about um, playing the game. And so by interjecting myself into their style of play, I really had to fend for myself. I had to figure it out. I mean, it's a whole different um, language as well. So I'm not understanding what they're saying to me either. (laughs) I'm really at the basis of of sport, learning exactly what I need to do um, and, and trying to survive. So when I came back from that, I was able to put in perspective perspective, this aggressive nature, and then how I could add what I learned in the U.S. um, Mm. through water polo. And just that's when I became a much better player. I think that's such a powerful statement um, that you feel like even after two Olympic Games, you still hadn't totally figured it out yet. Um, You know, I think most people feel like once you get to the Olympics, you figured it out. Um, But to feel like you're still learning, um, that's that's a really beautiful thing. Oh, Lord, Um, no. I was learning all the way until London. So I think there is something you can learn every day in sports. Yep, yep. I want to change our focus just a little bit. Um, I know you've done a lot to raise money um, to help people with autism spectrum disorders. And I'm curious how this became a cause that you, you know, wanted to work for and wanted to support. And are there certain things that our listeners can do to help? Well, um, yeah, I, I think there's a couple causes that I've gotten into since um, London. I feel like I've had this amazing career in sports and 
so many people have supported me that it's my chance to turn around and look at other people and say, how can I help them? So mm-hmm. um, working for Generation Rescue, which is an autism um, autism group has been awesome. Um, I first found out about them through uh, Jenny McCarthy, who has been a huge supporter of um, USA Water Polo. And I just felt like it was a great great organization and wanted to give them some of my energy, Mm -hmm. um, as well as um, I've done stuff for cancer. I do a lot through Swim Across America, Mm -hmm. which is an opportunity for me to use my swimming background to fight cancer. Um, and also I do a, another organization called Right to Play where we um, use sport for development in um, multiple countries around the world, teaching life skills through games. So I think, honestly, in the way other people can, can give back is to find something they're passionate about, whether it is autism or whether it's cancer or, you know, helping children um, and just researching it and reaching out to them and seeing how they can help. I mean, it doesn't have to always be monetary. Maybe there's some volunteer um, mm-hmm. work they could do or or anything. Social media is huge these days, and maybe just getting awareness out through social media has also been a, a great vehicle for nonprofits. That's great. That's great. Well, I just have one more question for you. Um, I'm sure that our Responsible Sports listeners are wondering about your future plans and, uh, and maybe wondering if the 2016 Rio Olympics are in your future um, and and what other things will remain on your horizon? Well, sadly, I will not be competing in the 2016 games. I will be there, though. I will be that girl in the stands covered in red, (laughs) white, and blue and stars and stripes cheering my face off. Um, I am such a big supporter of water polo and just in general Team USA and how um, their passion is to compete since I totally understand it after competing for 13 years. So that will definitely be on the horizon. Um, And other than that, at this point, I'm really just focused on – learning how to give back. I'm really invigorated by nonprofit organizations and how they function and help people around the world. Um, I'm, I'm studying to possibly go back to school Mm. um, so that I can help more people really. Heather, thank you so much. Um, This has really been enjoyable. And I think you shared um, a lot of life lessons and sort of coaching and athlete lessons that our um, responsible sports listeners are going to be able to use. So thanks so much for taking the time with us today. And uh, we'll certainly be looking for your face in the stands in 2016. Thank you so much for talking to me today. To learn more about responsible sports, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find valuable responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.